everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in to Let's Be Blunt with Montel. And I'm so excited to talk to today's guest. She is the founder and CEO and CTO of Epic Hint, a cannabis knowledge exchange that organizes the world's credible cannabis information and makes it accessible online for free. Prior to Epic Hint, she has built two tech startup companies, Grand Intent and Fashioning Change. Her work use, or I'm sorry, her, her work using tech for social good has earned her an invitation to contribute to a column in the New York Times online and also acceptance into Mucca Lab, the number two tech accelerator in the nation today. Thanks so much for joining us, Adriana Herrera. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. Let's back up and talk a little bit about your history so people know where you came from. Let's give me a little, uh, you know, the elevator pitch. Where did you come from? Where are you from? So originally from San Diego, California, um, never did I think I'd end up being a tech entrepreneur. I have a degree in psychology from the University of California, Riverside. Uh, first uh, job out of college, I was given the opportunity to build a actual inclusion program for children with disabilities to be included with their typically developing peers. And it was through that experience I learned you can build systems that create change rather than try and battle existing systems. And from there, I just, life had a different plan. I went from one thing to another and I ended up in tech, building tech for social change. Um, Now this is my third tech company, Epic Hint, and I wouldn't have had it any other way. Your first two companies that were entirely different than cannabis. So I'm trying to get an understanding of how you went from that to cannabis. So let's talk about your first two companies. You know, let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, the first one was what, the grand intent? It was actually Fashioning Change. Fashioning Change. And what was Fashioning Change about? So Fashioning Change was a recommendation engine where people would come and purchase the fairly made sustainable alternative to their favorite name brands. So they would say, I like... XYZ favorite brand, and we would give them the alternative that was sweatshop free, made using eco uh, impact dyes that was good for the earth and good for people. Um, That actually stemmed from my life experience. My father grew up in Juarez, Mexico, where we had family working in sweatshops. And he knew very much what it meant to support one company over another company. So we grew up with rules where we weren't allowed to buy anything made in China because the practices uh, for labor were worse in China, in his opinion. We couldn't buy anything made of synthetic materials because of the impact um, that it has on the earth. And we couldn't buy anything that was dark colors because my dad feels like children are the light of the world and they shouldn't wear dark colors. (laughs) Yeah, that really impacted um, my life and trying to find these, these types of products that I wanted. Uh, And so then I ended up building a platform to be able to find these products and help other people find them easily. And then Grand Intent? Uh, Grand Intent actually spun out of fashioning change because we ended up uh, growing um, in uh, visibility and ended up competing against the 800-pound gorilla in e-commerce, who then started knocking on the doors of our uh, vendors. um, And we saw that they were selling what... um, things that our vendors would sell on our site for 60 to $100, and they were slashing them by 70%, really putting our vendors out of business. And so we couldn't compete using the existing marketing channels that existed. So what we ended up doing is saying, well, do we close down shop 
Or do we try and build a marketing channel that this 800 pound gorilla, gorilla can't touch? And we went the other way. Um, and as a result, we ended up building a marketing tech platform that protected personal identifying information. Because all of these ads that are following us around are collecting all of our information and then reselling it and reselling and reselling it. We said, you don't need to do that. You just need to know, does someone have shopping intent and who do they want to actually shop from? So we built that. Um, and that was the, the last company. Um, and then I went on sabbatical and uh, decided to move forward with something that had been on my mind for probably about six or seven years. And that was Epic Hint. And that was Epic Hint. Now that was cannabis also. So talk, to, where did you, uh, how did you enter the cannabis industry? And what made you want to enter an industry that still right now is, you know, fragmented all over the world? Yeah. Um, well, definitely, I've always gone into industries where there is, you know, a big, a big challenge uh, ahead. But um, I was personally motivated. Uh, I had a very dear friend, um, a friend that I've had since high school, and he was my introduction to cannabis. Um, I grew up in a traditional Mexican American family where, you know, drugs, drinking are bad, and cannabis was definitely one of those drugs that you just don't touch. But he opened up my eyes because his father had colon cancer when we were in high school and they turned their garage into cultivation. And so it was one of his chores to actually go take care of the babies. So I would go in there with him while he's doing his chores, taking care of this plant that's being used as medicine. I'm like, jaw to the floor (laughs) because it was something so out of the realm of what I had been taught growing up. Um, so fast forward, um, that friend who I used to get in fights with being like, you shouldn't smoke your dad's pot for fun. You're going to get in trouble. He may have sold a little extra on the side just because he was being a rebel. Um, and so I was just like, Hey, this is going to ruin your life. Well, he didn't listen to me. And I'm so thankful that he didn't because he ended up getting a gene mutation at the age of 30, um, and ended up getting that same colon cancer. His father had gotten as an old man and he got it at 30. Doctor said, had he not been smoking his dad's medicinal pot for fun his whole life, he would have succumbed to this cancer. That was huge. Uh, After he had his colon removed, he needed his medicine, something for pain, nausea, and sleep to aid in his recovery. When you have such a a major organ um, removed, that's a long uh, recovery process. And so he would go into legal dispensaries looking for something. And there was always a beautiful woman behind the counter, nothing wrong with attractive people whatsoever. But when you look like death walking and you're six, four, and maybe 150 pounds on a good day, get the man something for pain, nausea and sleep and get him on his way. And so he would jump from dispensary to dispensary, trying to get this medicine from people that who knew nothing about what they were dispensing. In the meantime, you know, his, his uh, energy levels are going down, he's experiencing more pain, so often he ended up going back to his local friends, you know, the quote unquote black market where he could trust what he was getting because he knew where it was coming from and that these people cared about his recovery and thinking about those experiences and watching the headlines of what's going on in the industry and looking at the need for training in this industry because these patients deserve the best quality uh, experience. I said, well, let me just see if there's something I can build. But first, I wanted to see what was in existence. What I saw was in existence were were training programs where you either showed up and you paid a couple hundred dollars and you were given some master's and certification of something, which really meant nothing, or you had to pay hundreds to thousands of dollars to get a training that didn't even mean that you would get a job. 
Um, and most of these jobs were starting at minimum wage. And so all of these are barriers to that actual care for those patients. And so I said, let me just try and build something. I, I was traveling around Mexico. I built a landing page uh, one day on a surf break. Four days later, when I had Wi-Fi again, I checked uh, to see if anyone had signed up. And I had 932 signups. And I had to check it again because I'm like, maybe the heat got to me or something. I don't know. And um, it was. And I was like, wow, there's something here. People want to get into this industry. They want the training or they just want them training themselves to be able to make informed purchases or to help their mother or their grandmother, or their aunt, their uncle, their friend, their wife, their husband make a purchase that they feel safe and comfortable about. And that was really the motivation. And since then, that was uh, August 2018, came back to the U.S. after traveling around in November uh, 2018 and then just went full steam ahead, launched January uh, 2019, and uh, here we are today. And what Epic Hint itself does is it's a portal where people can go and get the most up-to-date scientific information. Do you try to, to make sure you seek out peer-reviewed studies and those kinds of things to make sure it's available? Yes, absolutely. So job seekers can come and get comprehensive training to enter the industry. Once they graduate from our comprehensive training for dispensaries, it's 15 lessons, 60 topics, 59 quizzes, and one final. It is comprehensive. It's very biased. What I think people dispensing medication should have had for my friend. Um, Once you complete that training, you're able to unlock job opportunities with our hiring partners. All of that is completely free. Any cannabis professional can also go through that training to better do their jobs and serve patients. Cannabis businesses such as dispensaries can use our hiring platform to tap in and hire these knowledgeable, motivated individuals 100% for free. They're then also able to use our technology to build private universities for their SOPs to make sure that the people are empowered to really do their best job. We have um, third-party in-store surveys where Patients and customers can then actually rate the performance of employees so that they know, you know, how they're actually doing. Uh, we have so much more under the hood. Aren't you, you've got to, or still have to be shocked right now with the fact that, you know, again, we have right now, I think it's 38 states in the District of Columbia have some sort of a medical cannabis or a, a adult use cannabis program going on. And the knowledge base across the board is from zero to a hundred. Yeah. Yeah. And there is a huge disparity. And what we're looking to do is just create some consistency um, and create consistency across the board. We really try to meet people where they are. So regardless, if you have a PhD or you never went to college and just have a GED, we are here to support your training and your success in the cannabis industry because it's all about your growth as an individual and unlocking those talents and strengths that you have. That motivation goes so far. Uh, And then also making sure that those patients are getting the best care while, of course, ensuring that businesses are maximizing profitability. And here at a time where, you know, we're faced with a, you know, monstrous pandemic, and there has been some recent articles written about cannabis and cannabinoids and their role in possibly helping to lessen some of the severity of this pandemic. That information is not getting out. Now, have you had uh, difficulty trying to convince some of your clients, if you will, which must be the dispensary owners, to really start tapping into the most recent data that's coming out? 
Uh, not at all, because for us, their biggest question, because they're so resource constrained, and basically you're building the plane as it's flying. Um, and so they said, well, how much time is this going to take me, is the first question. And then what is it going to cost? And we remove those two barriers by saying, literally, it's a click, a login, you can start learning. And for you and your dispenser and your employees, it's completely free. So when we answer it in that way, they're like, yeah, this is a no brainer because what we're doing now is it's, as you said earlier, the information's fragmented. They're Googling around for information. They're picking here, they're picking there, and they're not sure if that information has been vetted. There's even some of the most renowned and trusted uh, media sites out there right now have little tidbits of misinformation um, because they're you know, building these articles on the fly. And the people who are writing them don't particularly have the, the background in cannabis that they you know, should. Sure. I mean, does it not shock you, though, that now, you know, I think uh, I had a, a, a pretty influential doctor who's part of our community, the cannabis community on, you know, one of my podcasts who was saying that, you know, we've now finally gotten to a point where probably right around 10 to 15 percent of the universities across the country, medical universities are going to finally start teaching about the endocannabinoid system. I mean, come on. If, if this is, you know, right now. This is 2020, and they're just now going to start teaching about something that we discovered back in, you know, 1998, 1997, 98. It's it's amazing the, how the industry is just now catching up, the medical industry to be specific. Um, but this is something that our humans have known about for 12,000 years or more. Every culture has their own, you know, medicine man, shaman, and in Mexico, it's the curanderas who've been, you know, using herbs, including cannabis, to treat our bodies. And they've known that our bodies are receptive to this. And it's just now getting into the medical. But unfortunately, it was never about the lack of medicine. It was all about the economics and the racism of how cannabis came into the United States that really blocked that information from even getting into the universities. Absolutely. And, you know, the fact that that, again, now that universities know we have peer reviewed published data on things like the endocannabinoid system and on illnesses that are literally seem to be exacerbated, exacerbated by the lack of our endocannabinoids in our body. I think science is finally starting to just open up, you know, open their eyes a little bit. Have you been asked to, to work with any universities? Um, not as of yet. We actually have um, fine-tuned our platform to be able to basically have a university just click a button and start using our platform to actually teach a course um, in cannabis um, or to modify our existing information to teach a course. And again, because we're a social enterprise, we're offering that. for free. It's more important to us to get this information out than say, hey, what can we make? What can we make? What can we make? Um, So I love that you asked that question because uh, we would love to start working with some universities. We have uh, independent individuals who are trying to create their own universities, um, but, uh, you know, not a large institution as of yet. Stay with us. We'll be right back. 
Do you want to know how to become a social media influencer, how to grow an online business, how to make money from your laptop and build a profitable online company? Well, I'm going to show you how in my podcast, Living the Red Life. I built a million-dollar company at the age of 25, a $10 million company at the age of 30, and now I'm the A-list celebrity marketer that speaks around the world on how to transform businesses and make them profitable using Facebook ads, marketing, social media. My name is Rudy Moore, and I'm super pumped to bring you my podcast, Living the red life i know this is going to become your new favorite podcast and i'm going to show you how to grow a profitable online company step by step every single week okay now you know i you've got to have you know some pretty strong views about the industry as a whole so let's talk a little bit about that like how many jobs do you think will be created in the cannabis industry over the next and remember we're in the covid pandemic and unfortunately, people seem to think that COVID pandemic, talking about something that is a smokable product, is completely contradictory to what we should be talking about when we're talking about a respiratory illness, when they don't even understand that cannabinoids can be made available through a non-smoking, non-vaping method and still reap the same benefits. But people are you know, so closed-minded and so focused on anything they can say that's as bad as they could say. So what do you think? Let's, let's talk first about what do you think about the industry and where it's going right now in this pandemic epidemic? I think the pandemic has really opened people's eyes up to one, as you as you mentioned earlier, the uh, impact that uh, cannabis can have on the healing and recovery um, of people who um, are exposed to and, and have COVID. Um, so I think that's one, because there is no cure at the moment. People are open to, um, you know, what's going to make my loved one better. Uh, and that is something very powerful. Um, and there's that- been several, let's just uh, talk about that real quick, because before anybody, you know, tunes in and says, oh, Montel and Andrea, we're talking about cannabis being a cure for, we're not saying that. What we're saying is that there's research being done that has always been done even pre-COVID that identify the fact that there are several cannabinoids, which are the basic, you know, uh, uh, phytonutrients of the cannabis plant that seem to have some properties that uh, we know for a fact that are much more efficacious at inflammation and fighting inflammation as anti-inflammatories than most anti-inflammatories that we have in the marketplace today. We know that CBN, CBG, you know, THCA, THC is 20 times in some cases more of an anti-inflammatory agent than some of the pharmaceuticals that are available in the marketplace today and through experimentation and it's been, it's happening all over the world right now where there are several research outlets that are looking at isolates of certain cannabinoids, which we know that there are well over 160 of, you know, at least currently identified and there may be even more, but as we look at some of those isolates, we know that we're getting a much greater anti-inflammatory response from some of them than we do from, again, medicinal agents that have been used historically for the last 10 to 20 years. So though the cats, I mean, you know, we're we're still doing the research. The research is worth following. Let's follow that bouncing ball. If in fact that there's a way to take a greater amount of CBD, CBDV, CBDA, the acid version of it, 
and get a greater anti-inflammatory response, why would you not want to take that orally to have an anti-inflammatory response based on the fact that we know how much inflammation actually is involved when it comes to COVID? So that's what we're saying. Anybody who wants to jump up and down and start screaming and saying, I don't know, use cannabis. That's not what we said. We're just talking about the fact that we know that there is research and papers that are out there right now that are talking about the efficaciousness of cannabinoids. But go right ahead, Audrey. I'm sorry. Yeah, absolutely. And just to piggyback off of what you just shared, there's um, also the flavonoids in, in cannabis right. that are so under um, talked about They're, with the flavonoids. They're- Terpenes, absolutely. Yeah, the cannabinoids that are only found in cannabis that work together with the cannabis. It's um, it's you know, there's so much to be discovered. Um, and yes, there's always going to be the person that's you know is the dissenter uh, trying to put this down. But it's just that the lack of access to information. Um, and so I, I think exactly what you just said hit the nail on the head. Um, you know, not any medicine is not the one cure all, regardless of where it comes from. Um, it's just an option that people can choose. Um, to answer the rest of the question, uh, looking at how the pandemic has really impacted the industry, uh, there it has had an, an economic impact on um, how people look at their purchasing habits, um, particularly for adult use. Um, so alcohol has gone down moderately and cannabis has gone up, which has been very interesting to watch. As that shift has happened, new jobs have been created. Delivery is up 40%. Um, So the industry is still growing in the pandemic. In many states, it's been deemed essential, which is amazing because this is an illicit, federally illegal industry, yet it's been deemed essential in the worst modern pandemic of our country. So that's, that's huge. That is huge, and especially with the fact that, you know, you've got the, you know, current attorney general who's trying his best to every now and then throw a monkey wrench into the mix, and that monkey wrench gets thrown right back out the cage at him because people, you deem that you hit it. Uh, Cannabis has been deemed an essential uh, service and in every single state, pretty much. I think it's that that way now. So, and you're actually right. I've heard, uh, though I've not seen the data to support it, that it appears that Cannabis use is on the rise where alcohol use is going down. Now, what's crazy, though, which really blows my mind, is that as we see some of these states opening, what do people are doing? What are they doing? The first thing they're doing is running out, trying to get back to a bar, running out and trying to have a keg. I mean, I I just I find this absolutely just 100 percent disgusting. And the fact that we can't understand that it just is going to take all of us to work together to bring this to an end. Right. But I don't know, what do you think, but though job-wise, you got a number, you got an idea of what may be created over the next year, two years? Yeah, over the next three years. Um, and this is not, you know, assuming federal legalization whatsoever, because that, you know, we'll wait till that happens. But just on the current trajectory that we're at, um, there is going to be over 300,000 new jobs created in the next three years. Um, there are going to be an additional about 175-ish thousand jobs that are going to be created because of turnover. So that's about 440,000, 443,000 new jobs created by cannabis just the next three years. That's amazing. Absolutely. And you hit the hammer on the head. I mean, there is a high turnover rate. Look, I got to take a little break, pay a couple bills. 
but I want to pick up right there when we get back and let's talk a little bit more about why is there such a high turnover rate in this industry? And you have some really interesting takes on that. Let's talk about that. And I also want to talk about, uh, you know, equity programs. I mean, you are a Latina. Is that right? I'm saying that correctly because I've been so confused in the last couple of months what the right term is to say to people who are of Latino descent. So I'm Mexican-American and that's how I refer to myself. Um, That's my preference. But yes, there is the Latinx movement um, to replace the word Latino. But I say I'm Mexican-American. Okay. All right. Let me take a break, pay some bills, come back and let's talk a little bit about that. And, you know, you seem to be cracking another glass ceiling and I want to know how you do it so well. So let me take a break. We'll be back right after this. And thank you so much for tuning in today to Let's Be Blunt with Montel. And you've been listening to a conversation with myself and an industry leader, a lady who has literally set in motion, I think, a trend that may follow. And a lot of people are going to try to jump on and follow here quickly. We'll be back right after this. And thanks for staying tuned and listening to more of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Well, the guest today is the CEO and founder and CTO of Epic Hint, a cannabis knowledge exchange that organizes the world's credible cannabis information and makes it accessible online for free. My fellow, come on, please welcome and, and uh, for joining us today, Andrea Herrera. Thank you so much, Andrea, for being here. Uh, Adriana, but uh, Adriana, thank you. Yeah. Adriana, did I say Adriana? Sorry. Uh, yeah. It, it, trying to find it. Perfect. Um, <laughs> Let's talk a little bit right before I went to the break. Let's talk. Why is there such a huge turnover in the cannabis industry? Um, So this industry is an industry that's never legally existed before. The cannabis industry is growing faster than the tech industry during the dot-com boom. Um, People are literally building the plane as it's being flown there is no existing roadmap to build a business. The information is fragmented. As soon as people get the license, it's go, 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 go. Uh, so people are taking shortcuts. Managers are taking shortcuts. Owners are taking shortcuts. They're like hiring their friends, calling their buddies, come on in, sell a little weed. <laughs> that's, that's exactly it. Um, and in many cases, even the licensing um, process actually contributes to turnover because when you're you're filling out your licensing forms, you actually have to name who your staff is going to be. Well, how do you even know who your staff is going to be if you haven't even had an opportunity to write your job descriptions, do the interviews, and figure out who the most qualified person is? Um, so then you end up with a bunch of hiring managers who have no experience, one, in cannabis, two, let alone hiring in any industry to identify the best person. Um, so people are, as you said, hiring their friends, hiring their family, and what happens when you hire your friends and hire your family, yes, it feels good because you get to hang out with the people that you love and love to be around, but we're similar to our family just based on biology, and we're similar to our friends based on how we pick our friends. We, we pick our friends based on similar experiences, whether we went to school together, whether we like the same basketball team, whether we like the same music. So what happens is you start to have teams that are very homogenous. Um, and these teams, you're not going to rot out your friend who has showed up late or, you know, left their, their soda on the um, POS and spilt it. And so then, you know, costing, um, you know, money to, to replace that POS system. Um, so there's a, a lot of things, um, you know, shortcuts that are being taken. Um, hiring managers are picking the people who they think, you know, feel the most comfortable around, that they relate to the most, um, just the 
process of a resume alone contributes to uh, their turnover. So um, most people don't know that the resume is 537 years old and it is still the number one tool we're using to identify the most knowledgeable, qualified uh, individuals who can contribute their skills to our businesses. The first person to ever use the resume was Leonardo da Vinci in the late 1400s. That format of a resume has still not changed today in 2020. It is filled with bias. It has your name on it. So it says your gender. If your name uh, gives reference to your ethnicity, then there's that. If you put your school when you graduated, your age, there's so much bias that starts at the top of the funnel that people are automatically starting to be weeded out, whether it's directly or through that implicit bias. So people who are the most qualified are being overlooked. Often the most qualified individuals are people who are underrepresented. They are uh, Latinos, they're African-Americans, they're LGBTQ, they're women, they're Asians, they're uh, people with disabilities, they're, they're veterans, they're people who have had their previous cannabis activities um, criminalized and are there by being marginalized again for those activities. All of these people can contribute to a business and it often um, are, are most often being overlooked. Um, so that's, that's um, you know, a, a, there's a lot of reasons <laughs> in summary. There's a lot of reasons that there's turnover. And that turnover rate is 30%. Economically, that turnover rate and these bad hiring practices are going to cost the industry a minimum of $438 million in the next three years. That's a lot of profit being lost because the shortcuts are being taken. Sure. Now, you they, through your program, uh, people can not only go up and get an education, but now do they get uh, job referrals? Do you help them put together their resume? And uh, do you also help them? Uh, you clearly do. You, do you certify? Yeah. So we have an Epicen um, certification that you that you achieve. Um, that's both through you know you get your your certification. Um, your certificate, I should say, and you also get a badge, a badge that's verifiable, a badge that has to be renewed every 12 months, and the hiring manager can actually click that badge um, and say, okay, this is still valid, or, uh, you know, this needs to be refreshed. Um, but what we do is we make sure that we are removing um, any type of uh, favoritism or bias that can happen in the process. And that starts first and foremost with creating a level playing field. And that playing field starts with giving everyone access to the same level of education and training to then submit their qualifications. We call it a qualifications, not your resume. Reason being is we have our proprietary process where we standardize those uh, qualifications. So that way hiring managers are actually able to look and assess you based on your knowledge, based on your experience, based on your skills. Those three things that science, data, and research tells us make up high-performing teams. So uh, people can come on, get trained, uh, submit their qualifications, and be assessed by hiring managers and actually hired through our platform 100% for free. That's unbelievable. Now, you know, let's talk a little bit about, you, you, you have some very interesting take on the idea of social equity in this field. Let's talk a little bit about that because, you know, there are a lot of, you know, every single state now seems to have some sort of social equity program and none of them seem to be working. I mean, to be absolutely honest with you, Latinos, women, 
African-Americans are still completely underrepresented in this industry. We have the hardest time of getting any backing, have the hardest time of getting any funding, have the hardest time of actually getting a license of your own. You end up having to go to somebody else to put your name in a mix so that you're their token minority on their application. Um, that's really frustrating. I've actually had a few people approach me to be their uh, their token on their application. I'm like, do you not realize what my company stands for? <laughs> um, asking the wrong person. Um, but uh, yeah, so you know, social equity, the very tenets of social equity, inclusion, and diversity are something that I 110% support as a Mexican American, as a woman, as a human being. It is just the right thing to do. Well, especially, I mean, as a Mexican-American and a woman, but as a Mexican-American, you understand that, you know, we, Mexican-Americans and African-Americans, were part of the original vilification of this plant to help make it illegal and has been part of the process. I mean, I think brown people who are brown have, have constitute about 80% of all incarcerations since 1937 for this product. So... You know, we have a long way to go before we actually achieve some sort of equity in this business. Right. right. There's the, I mean, just the arrest rates alone that are still happening. Uh, Latinos, African-Americans, I believe, are four times more likely to be arrested in states like Ohio, eight times more likely to be arrested if you're African-American. Yet there is still a huge lack of parity in representation in the legal industry. Absolutely. Um, Even in California, there's an article that came out very recently about the fact that, you know, since California went uh, uh, adult use, there have been more arrests of people of color than less arrests. And we constitute approximately double, almost triple the amount of arrests to the Caucasian industry. So, or uh, population. So it's really ridiculous that, you know, even in California where they supposedly have, you know, equity, you know, tenants in almost every one of their legislative bills. It, it, it's BS because they're on the streets, the cops are still arresting people of color. Yeah, that gets into a whole nother issue that I'm passionate about. I feel like we could talk about forever, the whole prison industrial complex and how, you know, that impacts this industry and it impacts people of color. Um, but looking at equity just within the industry itself, when we're building out these these opportunities to be inclusive, to to have authentic diversity, to have authentic participation, I think is very important to emphasize authentic participation, not being a token by any means. Um, all of the uh, strategies that have been laid out, they're all established programs. Programs, programs can be fun, uh, cut because of funding. So you know, as soon as you know, taxes need to go in another way. Well. That was nice. We did it for a while. So we're going to, you know, cut, cut down that program or get rid of it altogether. Um, within organizations, um, because we do work with organizations that are mom and pop to um, MSOs that are multi-state, when we start to have these conversations about how are you identifying the best and making sure no one's being overlooked, oh, well, we, we, we ha hire those minorities. We have that program over there. I'm like, well, how are they, you know, contributing, they contributing to your overall company. And it's not seen as part of a company. It's seen as a box to check over there, they. Um, so when we're establishing these programs and looking at it as social equity, something separate, um, it's my fundamental belief, looking at the data of what science research and 
um, tells us built high performing teams that the entire industry is misstepping on the way that it is looking to include underrepresented individuals. Science data research tells us that when you have individuals that are qualified, motivated, have different life experiences, you're going to build a more profitable company. The cannabis industry is not fulfilling its fiduciary responsibility because it is overlooking these individuals. There is no systemic solution to make sure that everyone is being included because it increases the bottom line. So when you're looking at it from an economic standpoint of fulfilling your fiduciary responsibility, because that's what science data research tells us, builds a high-performing business, but you're building these programs over there for they, them, minorities, then there's a larger issue. And that just comes down to plain out racism. Because if you're an owner, you have, and you're taking any type of venture capital, you do have that legal fiduciary responsibility to make the most money. If you're not doing it, well then we need to assess you know, what those reasons are. And if you are just a plain out racist, your board needs to replace you or that board itself needs to be replaced. So, and now, you know, we do see there's a disparity, not only in people of color in the industry, but also a big disparity with women. So I applaud you for being a woman who is both minority and stepping up to the plate to ensure more representation for, for women. But what do we got to do to, to change this trajectory over the next two to three years? I think that there's a lot um, that we need to do. And first and foremost, I think it starts with education. And, and sometimes that could be a longer road. But when we give people access to knowledge as to why we need to build systemic solutions to include all groups, um, then we can start to implement these solutions. Most people don't know that when you are authentically including, including people of all backgrounds, that you're actually building a more high performing team it's more profitable. When we look at examples on the S&P 500, um, the companies that have authentic inclusion outperform non-diverse competitors by 19% profit. That's a lot of money month over month, year over year. So it starts with that education. And once you have that education, you say, okay, I understand. I should be including people of all backgrounds because it's going to make me more money, regardless of maybe if I like them or not. <laughs> um, the uh, founder of Toyota has this great quote, and I'm going to misquote him, so I'm just going to like, give the tone of what it says. He's like, uh, you have to include people um, of different backgrounds uh, because you're never going to have different thought processes and if you only pick people that you like. So basically implying that he has a team of people that he doesn't necessarily like, but he has them because they are the best people to have. Uh, which, which I think is really interesting. So once you start with that education, then it's like, okay, how do we start to make sure that we're looking at our hiring processes and making sure that we're not um, creating an unlevel playing field and that we're introducing bias um, into that process that's resulting in people being overlooked? I think that the uh, that standard boilerplate Montel that uh, says, you know, we're an equal opportunity employer. We don't overlook, you know, based on blah, 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 all of these things, all these things that these companies have, um, to me, it's you know, BS, quite frankly, because no one's held accountable. Um, so what we're doing at Epicant is giving the education on why it's the right thing to do. Not only is it socially the correct thing to do, um, but it's the economic fiduciary thing to do, but we're giving you the tools to make it easy. Uh, because you are building the plane as it's being flown, and you don't want to have to think about, okay, now I'm going to have to learn this whole new system, this whole new thing. No, you make it easy, give the education, and let's be on our way.
Absolutely. And yeah, you give an opportunity for people to have a standard to work off of. So that's so great. What, what's next for Epic Hint? Uh, what's next for the Epic Hint? Oh, yeah. Yeah. What's, I'm sorry. What's next for Epic Hint? And then what's next for Adriana? Uh, okay. Those are two big questions. Um, so it's not next for Epic Hint. We are just getting started. Um, we have done basically no marketing to date. Uh, we've grown based off of referrals. Um, so, you know, looking at uh, the next six months, uh, we are still working with some really great uh, companies, some really great MSOs, uh, collecting some data to show that this process is not only uh, socially the right thing to do to make sure people of all backgrounds are being included, but that it does uh, impact positively the bottom line. So we're, you know, working on those things. Um, and then are going to come out very strong uh, next year uh, with uh, some products that we haven't spoken about that are um, really, really revolutionary uh, to help people grow their careers uh, in a meaningful way. So that's exciting for us. Truthfully, actually, our, our largest challenge um, just right now is that people think we're a scam. Um, I, I talk to a lot of people on the platform. I'll personally call them and say, you know, how's it going? And they'll say, well, I can't believe what, the level of education and training I'm getting. When I was going to sign up, I thought you guys were a scam because who offers free education, training, and opportunities to get hired? No one. And I started seeing that pattern over and over again. I'm like, oh my gosh, how many people are not signing up for Epic Hint? because they think it's too good to be true. So definitely appreciate the opportunity to connect with you and share our story, because that's sad for our country. And maybe right now, go ahead and give people the website to go to if they want to get more information immediately, right now, perfect timing. Yeah, um, so it's just epichint.com. So it's epic, E-P-I-C-H-I-N-T.com. Okay, so you can go up and they, they can, it'll, it'll guide them through how to enroll and do what they need to do, right? Yeah, absolutely. We have a very unique process to keep it free. Um, and once they sign up, they go on a waiting list. We verify that they're a, right, a real person because we've had some uh, less, well, some bad actors in the industry trying to do things to hurt our business. Um, and then, you know, once they check all those boxes, they get access to Epic Hint. And once they graduate, they get lifetime access to all of the training that we have. You know, it's been one of the things that I've talked about here on Let's Be Blunt over and over and over again. I think that, you know, the one is the one thing that this industry has done poorly is exactly what it is, the service that you're providing. And that's through education, education, education. You know, more information that not only do businesses have, but the more education or more information that consumers have, you know, the more they are apt to. But once you get enough education, you'll understand that this is the direction you should have been going in to begin with. Absolutely. So I, I applaud you on what you're doing, what you're trying to do. Thank you. It's definitely, um, you know, it's not easy. Uh, you asked the question, you know, what's what's next for me? Um, so hopefully after the pandemic, I can continue um, to live my digital nomad lifestyle um, while building up a Kent with the team. I uh, would love to continue to go visit clients and then also go back and you know, get some surf time in. But um, big, big vision for myself personally, um, you know, my, my life goal, if I am so um, fortunate to be able to check that, that box off, is um, that uh, equal opportunity employment statement that we, every company has, um, but really doesn't mean anything, um, would love to have enough data through the cannabis industry by helping businesses grow, by hiring the right people, to then go to legislation and say, hey, 
when you build systemic solutions to include people of all backgrounds, not only is it better for business, which then, you know, you get more money through taxation. It's better for your bottom line. <laughs> exactly. Um, but everyone's being included. And let's add a little line to that, that law that says, hey, not only do you have to actually have that statement, but you have to be accountable to it. And um, everyone has to have that reporting because imagine what that would do for our country and the inclusion and opportunity for individuals if everyone had equal access. Like that is like that, you know, God willing would be my my thing in life. Well, I think the best way to get to that is to make sure that everybody understands their responsibility in voting because we have you know people in place right now who don't believe in equal opportunity for anyone. Oh, yeah. They have their own, you know, uh, uh, particular thought process of what America should look like. And it's not one that's an inclusive one, but I thank you so much for everything you do. Adriana Herrera, you've been listening to her right now on Let's Be Blunt. She again is a CEO and CTO of Epic Hint and make sure if you want more information about Epic Hint, you can of course go to our website, but go to hers, epichint.com and sign up, get educated, understand that more knowledge, more knowledge, more knowledge that you can get is what's going to move this industry forward and help save lives. I really, truly really do believe that. So thank you so much for being a part today, Adriana. And thank you so much for tuning in to Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Make sure you catch us on the next one. Are you dealing with best life burnout, constantly striving for more, and quite frankly, over it? Maybe you just want more joy, peace, and laughter in your life now. Well, then let's go. Welcome to your new favorite podcast, Hot Happy Mess, hosted by me, your girl, Zuri Hall. We are celebrating our magic in the middle of life's messes. Don't miss new episodes every Wednesday. Listen to the Hot Happy Mess podcast on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday. 